Well, we're starting here. I'm calling this one Overcoming Anxiety, Fear, Shame, and Betrayal. These are four different emotions and mindsets. You got it, they're, they're mindsets and emotions that Jesus is addressing in a very direct way. And in Roman numeral one, Jesus gave a command. It's a command that is very essential, but it's very easy to, to overlook it. I mean, it's just easy to read it and move on, but it must not be overlooked. It's an essential command. It's a practical one. His command is to not let trouble dominate our emotions in our mind. And it's interesting, he doesn't say, I will cause trouble not to dominate your mind and heart. I want you to engage with me. There's a human dynamic that must be employed in order for us to walk in the glory of what Jesus is saying. The very fact that Jesus says, don't let it happen, is telling us that he's going to do his part, but he is requiring a human involvement. There are human dynamics involved, and we're gonna look at some of those tonight. He commanded his disciples, paragraph eight, to not let trouble dominate their heart. Let's read it. He does it in verse, he says it in verse one of John 14. Then he repeats it for emphasis again in verse 27. There's not many things that he says over and over in these five chapters, and so we pay special attention when he repeats it twice like this. Let's look at it, verse one, John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. This isn't just poetry. This is not just a poster or a picture. This is a real commandment. Believe in God and believe also in me. And we're gonna look at very practical things that he wants us to align our heart with and in believing in God, the God of Israel, Jehovah, and believing in Jesus, the Messiah, his son. He says, let not your heart be troubled, but believe in me. I mean, believe in God, but believe also in me. He says in verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I will give you, but I'll give you the peace in context to you doing your part by not letting Trouble dominate your thinking and your emotions. I'll give you peace. That will be my part. And it will be a supernatural peace. But I'll do it in context to you doing your part. And again, this uh, do not let your heart be troubled is kind of a neat poetic statement. You see it on posters over the years and pictures and plaques. And it's kind of, wow. But I don't know that many people that actually engage in a consistent, diligent way to obey that commandment. And so I'm wanting to stir us up. Then he says it again, verse 27, let not your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. Fear is something that knocks on the door of our mind and our heart, and we can resist it. Doesn't mean it'll go away immediately, or we can entertain it, and it grows and grows and dominates. Fear must be repelled and resisted. Again, we need supernatural help for it to be dispelled, but we have to do our part. There are important human dynamics involved, indicated by the two phrase, uh, the phrase he says several times, let not, don't let it happen. Included in any of God's commands, but this one is the one we're focused on, is the promise of an enabling. When God commands us to do something, the implication and the sure implication is, I will help you do it if you will exercise your heart to do it. 
I will actually help you. I will enable you to do this if you will reach to me to obey me in this. And I'll go the next step further is that I believe that only people who obey this commandment, that seek to obey it. I mean, I don't know anybody that obeys it perfectly or in the most mature way. I'm sure there's a few of them out there. But only people that seek to obey this are gonna be empowered to walk in the love that's in these chapters. A lot of times we say, Lord, I just wanna grow in love. And he says, you need to obey this commandment. This is at the very core, the center of growing in the revelation and receiving and encountering the love of God. This is actually core to it and foundational to it. And that is a new idea to some people. They wanna, they're committed to growing the first commandment, but they skip this commandment. And we wanna love God with all of our heart. We want that to be first. And Jesus is saying, you gotta do verse 14, verse one. You've gotta engage in this with me if you wanna see the first commandment grow in your heart in, in, in the fullest way that the Lord intends. Paragraph B, John 13 to 17, tells us how to engage our troubled hearts. And the idea is to overcome, and I'm identifying four mindsets and emotions. Again, they overlap together. It's not entirely a mindset or entirely emotion. It's, it's a little bit of both. It's an overlap. Anxiety, fear, shame, and betrayal. These are four of the most painful and yet even most dangerous emotions to be entrapped by. Let me say that again. These four emotions and mindsets are four of the most painful. I can think of a few others, but four of the most dangerous emotions to get entrapped by. And Jesus is saying, take this very, very seriously. Don't just kind of say, okay, I'm gonna move on past this. Now, when I say to overcome betrayal, the real emotion is the bitterness that often chases down the one who's betrayed. And betrayal has an unusual place of emphasis in John 13 to 17. It shows up a number of times. Betrayal is the bitterness chases down the one that's betrayed to trap us and get us in a corner and devour us. Bitterness is very, I could say bitterness there, but the word Jesus used a number of times was betrayal, and bitterness is the response, the normal response to betrayal. I mean, the absolutely normal response, it has to be resisted tenaciously in a interaction with the Holy Spirit. So in John 13 to 17, Jesus gives us a line upon line. I mean, it's, it's five chapters, line upon line. He's telling us how to engage with God's heart and God's promises. He goes, if you'll do that, it will be an anchor in your soul. And the result will be, I'll give you peace. Supernatural peace where your heart is troubled and then you find relief. And that doesn't mean the relief will be permanent and never, ever absent. But we reach back. We're, we're in this struggle, this fight of faith. And let not trouble dominate our mind and emotions and believing God for peace and a sustained peace. But in my life, I've looked over the years, it comes and goes. And the Lord says, stay with it. Stay in the process with me. John 13 to 17 gives us significant insights into the family dynamics. I love to, I just like that phrase of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are family. And the way they interact with each other is the way they're in inviting us to interact with them. And that's, we're gonna break that down and, 
And it's more than a teaching. I mean, this is living understanding to, I mean, to, to enter into this as much as we can by the grace of God in this life. The big surprise of John 14 is that God desires us to enter into this family dynamic with him. I mean, that's a shocking, stunning surprise. I mean, the fact the Father and the Son and the Spirit enjoy and honor and partner together and engage with each other. There's many things. We'll look at many of the different little facets of it. We'll, we'll never get all of them, but we'll look at some of them. We're clear of the Scripture. But the shocking thing, surprising thing, the awesome privilege that he desires that we would inter interact with him in these ways as well. It's like, really? I mean, when Jesus said this, it was almost like, is this an exaggeration? Is this real? And he's really saying this is going to be one of the ways that are critical for you to resist being dominated by trouble in your mind and emotions. You have to do it my way. Paragraph C. We'll look at this a little bit more later, but when Jesus was giving this teaching in John 14, verse 1, and we're mostly looking at verse 1 and breaking down some practicalities. This uh, uh, believe in God, believe also in me, let not your heart be troubled. The remarkable thing is that Jesus, as a man, he was deeply troubled that night about his own personal life. Deeply troubled. It says uh, in John 12, just before John 13, he was deeply troubled and said, what should I say, Father, uh, Deliver me from this cup. He goes, no, that's why I came to the earth. And then we find him a few hours later. In Luke chapter 22, verse 44, sweating drops of blood. He's in such anguish. But he's not only troubled by his death, which is obviously the, the, the big one, but we're a little surprised by the level of the trouble and the pain that he had over Judas's betrayal. Because we have Judas kind of locked away as you know, the guy at the Last Supper, you can always tell who Judas is. He's over in the corner with shifty eyes and horns, kind of. Ah, oh, that's Judas for sure. You, you always know who John is. He's leaning on the Lord. You know who Judas is. Ah, you know, he's over there. But the fact of Judas and Jesus, uh, Judas called him, you are my friend. He loved him. And it broke his heart. It pained his heart, Judas's heart. But the part I want to mention is that though he was suffering that very night, even to drops of blood in the garden in Gethsemane some hours later, and even though he was in great pain over Judas, he set aside his own concern, and he said, my beloved friends are troubled. I'm going to lock in and help them. I'm going to give them promises. I'm going to give them instructions. I'm going to give them a perspective. I'm going to prophesy over them. I'm going to call them forth. It's like, I mean, if you were going to die tonight a terrible death and one of your friends was going to be troubled because they, didn't, they, they were going to miss you so bad or they were maybe even going to stumble in an area of sin tonight, you'd say, well, you know, hey, bro, you know, I'm sure you'll, you'll make it. I'm going to be tortured tonight. Jesus, it's, it's, in, it's just, it's indescribable that he could lay that aside and engage with them knowing they would betray him that very night. It's like, this is remarkable reality. Look at Roman numeral two. Well, in order to really understand or to get a better sense of the significance of, of these five chapters, John 13 to 17, we call the upper room discourse. It's what many commentators call it. Or his farewell address, some commentators call these five chapters. 
But to really gra to grasp it more fully, the significance of what's being said, we've got to go back two days, because this is Thursday night. The, the Last Supper in the upper room, these five chapters, it's Thursday night. You've got to go back to Tuesday, because Tuesday, he introduced some very troubling things to them. And even in context to introducing them to them, he's prophesying. He tells them not to let their heart be troubled. So that's Tuesday. So now it's Thursday, and he's on the same theme. Do not let your heart be troubled. But he's, he's, he's actually continuing the conversation he started on Tuesday. And the Holy Spirit has uh, stirred my heart in this last year showing me that the 150 chapters that we make reference to, of which the primary topic is God's narrative in the generation the Lord returns, the, end, the biblical narrative of the end times, 150 chapters in the Bible, of which the primary subject is the generation the Lord returns. That's an incredible large number. Well, two days before the Last Supper, on the Tuesday, the Last Supper is Thursday, Matthew chapter 24 and Mark 13 and Luke 21, it's the same sermon, the same af afternoon, but there's three different uh, renditions of it. Much overlap, but there's some distinctions in each of those three chapters. But the important part to know is it's the same message. When you read Luke 21, you got to read it together with Matthew 24 and Mark 13. Because some people take one of those chapters and they make them separate from the other ones. No, it's the same you know, 30, 40, 50 minute conversation. I don't know how long. I just made up that number. I have no way of knowing. It could have been a lot longer. But what Jesus is doing is actually on that Tuesday, he's giving them kind of the broad strokes of the biblical narrative of the 150 chapters. He's laying it out on Tuesday. In Matthew 24, again, Luke 21, Mark 13. And then on Thursday, he's giving him these, these five chapters in the upper room, John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. And the Lord has really confirmed this to me that the only way we can properly understand the 150 chapters, the Matthew 24 broad strokes, is through the lens of what he's teaching in John 13 to 17. We can't separate those two messages. We can't separate what he said on Tuesday about the end times from what he said on Thursday about how to interact with his heart. They have to come together that if we, if we try to understand Matthew 24, the end time, the broad strokes of those 150 chapters, without the upper room discourse, without the John 13 to 17, we're going to get off. We're going to have a, a wrong perspective of those 150 chapters. And this was not on my mind a couple years ago, so this was, this was like a, 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 the light went on. I said, oh my goodness, it is the same subject, actually. Paragraph A. So on Tuesday, I just want you to get this real clear, two days before the Last Supper, and the Last Supper's right here in John 13 and 14 and 15, Jesus prophesied to them about deception, military conflict, ethnic strife, racial conflict, ethnic strife is the same as that, famines, pestilence, plural, earthquakes, betrayal, martyrdom. I mean, he lays all this out to these guys. And he's saying, you're actually going, you, you guys are going to experience this in your life. Not the fullness of it, but a significant dimension of it. You will actually see it in your life. Now the generation the Lord returns is going to see it in a greater intensity. 
But I mean, he, I mean, could you imagine the Son of God telling you these things that you would see in your life in the, in the lifetime of your children? You know how you would feel? You would feel like we're beginning to feel by studying these passages going, wait a second. And people are understandably troubled if they take these passages seriously, and we do. But the more we connect with them, the more people are going, wait a second. What is it going to be like for the 10-year-olds in 20 and 30 years? What's it going to what? If this is literal and it could happen in my lifetime, these things, and some of these things have happened all through church history, but the intensity in the first century and the intensity in the, in the generation of the Lord returns is far beyond the, the norm of history. And so the John 13 to 17 is equipping us with truths so we can respond to the end time trouble but have supernatural peace, but we've got to engage with the Lord in a very, very specific way. Well, let's look at Matthew 24. We're going back to Tuesday. He says, verse two, this is often overlooked, but this is shocking. This is inconceivable. The Jerusalem temple is gonna be completely destroyed. Jerusalem temple, uh, some have called it the, uh, I mean, it's commonly called one of the great wonders of the ancient world, but some say the most magnificent building on the planet at that time of history. And it arguably was. The most magnificent building on the planet. And it's gonna, he says, it's gonna be torn down. That is so big. We, we kind of read that, we move on. This is like, you know, I mean, it's not even comparable. It's like saying Washington, D.C. is gonna be completely destroyed in the buildings and the White House and the Capitol, everything destroyed and, and most of the people killed. And if, I mean, if an angel appeared today and told us this, we'd go like, oh my goodness, well, this is Jesus telling them this is really gonna happen. This is really troubling to them. But, you know, 2,000 years later, we kind of look at that and we move on and go, oh, well, you know, it's kind of a neat, uh, pro I mean, that's an interesting prophecy. That was devastating to them. Then he says, verse six, wars. Then in verse six, he goes on and says, See that you're not troubled. This is when he introduces the idea. You've got to line up with my leadership and what I'm telling you. He says this on Tuesday. Then he says it again on Thursday in John 14. Nation will rise against nation. Most of us are aware that the word nation is ethnos. It's ethnic group against ethnic group. Uh, uh, it's, it's often stated there are 12,000 distinct ethnic groups people groups in the earth today. Some say 14,000, you know, they move the number around, but 12 is a ballpark number, 12,000 different people groups on the earth right now. Not just the 200 nations, but the specific ethnic groups. Racial strife and conflict. We're watching it in our day, and we're getting like, this is getting intense. It's gonna get far more intense. It's troubling, I mean, genuinely troubling. He said there'll be famines, Pestilences. I mean, the COVID thing is just shaking the earth. But there's, there's going to be more coming. Earthquakes, devastating earthquakes. Earthquakes are horrifying. He goes, but then it's not just social disruption and chaos. Verse 9, they're going to kill you because you love me. They're going to actually kill you. We're watching that right now. Over in the Middle East and in Asia in China and various places, they're killing, in places in, in North Africa, they're killing believers because they're believers in Jesus. 
We see it on the news. We go, oh, my goodness. I'm so uh, glad that a bunch of leaders got together and determined we're going to take the next 30 days, every prayer meeting praying for Afghanistan and for the body of Christ in the Middle East and day after day, meeting after meeting. But, beloved, this thing is coming to a neighborhood near you. It's literally coming to the earth. It's spreading, but it's going to intensify more and more. They're going to kill you. Verse 10. He goes, many then, even when this happens, you will be betrayed by friends and family members in the context of the betrayal. Maybe is the most painful of all those things. Unless it's a slow death when they're killing you. If it's a quick death, that's one thing. But uh, a slow death, torture would be horrifying. But betrayal, I don't, there's very few things more painful than betrayal of friends and family members. He goes, and deception will be Many, many just false narratives, confusion about the real storyline all over the earth. Then in Luke 21, it's the same message, the same afternoon, the, it's the same presentation that he's giving them of truth. He says in verse 12, Luke 21, they're going to lay hands on you. That means beatings. He's tell, now the 12 are hearing this and taking it personally, and it literally happened to them. They'll persecute you. They'll deliver you over to prisons. Many of them were thrown in prison. You'll be betrayed even by parents. Catch this. Brothers, relatives, and friends because of me. Family members will betray you because of your loyalty to me. And some of them will have a confession of following Christ, and they're going to leave it and betray other family members. This, is, this whole thing is so intense. Again, this is on the minds of the 12 when they're at the Last Supper because this was his last message he gave them that, that, that's recorded. He says, well, it's going to go beyond that. Jerusalem's going to be surrounded by armies. Many will be killed by the sword, and many in Jerusalem will be taken captives into other nations as slaves. Now, that happened in 70 A.D., and the scripture is really clear. It's going to happen again related to the Antichrist. These things are going to happen again. I mean, the Jerusalem part is really intense to the people in that area. But the whole body of Christ is going to be in this together. But, the, but we're going to stand together with Jesus in this. But the point is, this array of negative things that are happening, a lot of positive things are happening too. We're in a more troubling hour ahead of us than the troubling hour the apostles had back in the first century. Let's look at paragraph B. Why is it so important to obey John 14, 1? Let not your heart be troubled. Why is it so important to obey the command to not let trouble dominate your mind and emotions? Because it comes, you can drink it, so to speak, or, you know, drink the cup of it. I don't know if that's the right analogy. And it grows. Or you can resist it by lining up with what God says. Or just go with the current. And most people go with the current. And the troubling fear, anxiety, and the bitterness of betrayal, it's real, but it grows and grows and grows and dominates their life. Why is it so important that we obey this command, don't let your heart be troubled? Because when our hearts are weighed down with anxiety, with shame, shame's a real big one. Shame related to our failures. We are much more vulnerable to darkness when our hearts weighed down with these things. 
much, much uh, more difficult. Like, when we're weighed down with fear, when ethnic strife or racism emerges, I mean, with real conflict, we so easily get confused and deceived on what's really happening when we're fearful. Jesus is saying, you gotta keep the smoke out of your eyes. You've gotta line up with what I'm saying because there'll be supernatural peace if you'll lean into me, not one here or there, but as a consistent lifestyle to determine you're not gonna let your heart be troubled and you're gonna be reaching to me for that supernatural peace. The two will come together and give us a vibrant spirit. Paragraph C, Matthew 24. It's interesting, Jesus not interesting, it's significant actually that he emphasized the danger of deception even more than the danger of persecution and tribulation. When we read the Matthew 24, you know what he get, the message he gave on the Tuesday, we're more concerned with the tribulation and persecution. Jesus says more dangerous than that is the deception, being tricked and confused with wrong mindsets. That's actually more dangerous to you spiritually than the persecution and tribulation is. He emphasized that more than persecution and tribulation. There's many layers to deception. And Jesus is many layers, many tricky layers to deception. Mindsets and emotions come together with conflict in the, in the culture. And so Jesus is warning the church not to get confused by the issues. There's so many voices because the deception isn't just the false prophet, you know, the demonic uh, guy that has horns. The deception is the social commentators. The false prophets aren't just those overtly evil guys. It's people with a false narrative that is not in unity with Jesus' narrative in the Bible. And a lot of false narratives are going forth, even from the church, within the church. Well-meaning believers that are not grounded in the word of God, buying into false narratives, proclaiming the false narratives, agreeing with them, getting confused by the issues. Deception's really serious. And he says, you, you gotta let not your heart be troubled so you keep clear in focus as to who Jesus is and what the gospel is all about, et cetera, et cetera. A troubled heart is a seedbed to confusion and deception, to buying the wrong narrative, buying the wrong narrative about the earth, about the governments, about the church, about the message of grace, about what love looks like. Buying the wrong narrative is really easy to do when our hearts are troubled. That's the seedbed for the, we'll call it confusion. Jesus called it confession. I mean deception, I'm calling it a false narrative, letting it enter our heart, and then we make wrong decisions, disastrous decisions when we have a wrong narrative in our heart. One that is not in agreement with the word of God. Top of page two. Now we're gonna look at seven reasons why the apostles were troubled. I'm sure there's more than seven, but you know, this is just a, a one 50-minute session here, you know, and so I'm giving you seven. There's a few more. And the reason we care about these, because though these were experienced 2,000 years ago by the apostles, they will be more challenging to the generation the Lord returns. And I'm not prophesying, but I've said for, for some years now, I really believe, it's a personal conviction that there are people alive on the earth that will actually see the Lord's return. And if that's true, and it is 10, 20, 30, 40 years, I don't know. I don't know the time. And 
And again, I'm not prophesying, but it's my conviction from the biblical signs of the times and what the Spirit is saying to many, many people then in this next several decades, longer or shorter, nobody knows. These things are going to accelerate and escalate. And, this, and so these seven things that were true in the first century, the apostles experienced them, they will be more intense and more challenging in the generation the Lord returns. So these are very, very relevant to us. Well, just moments, paragraph A, before Jesus said, John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. Just moments before that, just go to the couple of verses right before he said, let not your heart be troubled. We'll just back it up two or three verses. And we find in, in John chapter 13, right before he makes this statement, he gives us three reasons why they were troubled. Then if we back up Two more two days to Tuesday, there's four more reasons that I'm identifying. So the three that he says right before, let not your heart be troubled, we find him in John 13. And then four more of these seven troubles he said on the Tuesday, two days before that Thursday night, Last Supper. He spoke of leaving his disciples, and the idea was by death. He spoke of the, the painful betrayal of someone in their inner circle. Judas. Again, we look at Judas and go, hey, that's a given. He's a bad guy. But it wasn't a given. It wasn't something that made sense to any of them in the hour. Judas didn't just betray Jesus. He betrayed the whole whole group and their families. It was a betrayal of the deepest consequences and implications beyond just Jesus and Judas. They were all betrayed by him. And then Peter's denial. And then the stumbling of all of them that very night. This created complications and trouble. Then two days earlier, in Matthew 24, Luke 21, again, I'm I'm putting four of the the issues from that Tuesday as to why they're troubled. Let's look at them just ever so briefly. I mean, you've already already said them, uh, basically. But I want us to think not just historically what they walked through, but think, Today, like right now in our lives, these things, some of these are happening now in our lives in part, but they're going to be happening widespread in the days to come. Again, it may be a, a little bit longer down the road, it may be not, I don't know. Paragraph B, one of the primary reasons, I mean, the primary reason they were troubled, their beloved leader and friend was going to die. He was going to leave them. And he tells, Jesus tells him in John 13, just two or three verses before, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now. And they understood it. He made 18 references to the fact that he was gonna be killed right, right immediately. And they're like trying not to connect the dots, but he's making 18 references to it. He says, I'm going to the Father, like now. Okay, does that mean you're gonna have a vision? I'm going to the Father. I've told you already they're going to offer me up to death and they're going to whip and crucify. He told them three direct times even before he came to Jerusalem. They are going to kill me. He's told them three times, but they didn't. They just said, no, you you can't mean die, die. He goes, yes. So they're still a little bit bewildered, but he makes 18 references to it. But now we think the apostles and Jesus, wow. Okay, let's get practical in in our world. You have a beloved family member or friend who suddenly dies. Well, you're going to see him again. There are believers, but not right away. 
You go, whoa, that's a little more serious. A beloved family member or friend that suddenly dies, whether it's a sickness or, or uh, t- today in other parts of the world, and, and it's gonna be more common, martyred because of Jesus. I mean, they're just killed one day. It's like the shock of that, the trauma of that. We say, yeah, but they're gonna see Jesus. Well, we're gonna see that beloved one too. You know, a few minutes down the road, a few minutes means a few years, whatever. But this is shocking to them. It's, tra- it's traumatic, but this is gonna be a trauma that many believers in the earth, well, many face it now by sudden deaths of loved ones that are believers, and they will see them soon in the Lord's timing. I mean, because again, uh, you know, like King David said, just it's just a moment is the breath of a, of a 70-year t- lifespan. It's just one moment. You'll be there in a minute. I tell people that a lot. The Lord will be here just in a minute. It could be some decades, but it's only a minute to him. Well, then he says right after, he says, verse 36, He says, I'm going where you can't come. Again, think of a beloved family member, a beloved leader. Think of a beloved friend. They're suddenly killed or suddenly taken out of your life. You never are going to interact with them on a regular basis again in this life. And just that happens today in people's lives. But it's going to intensify. And then he shifts gears the next verse or two. And Peter says, well, wherever you're going, I'm going. And Jesus says, you can't go. I'm going to the supernatural realm, to the heavenly realm. I'm going to die physically. I'll die with you. Jesus says, no, you won't. Matter of fact, you're going to betray me tonight three times. Peter's just shocked. Like what? And the next verse is, let not your heart be troubled. He's talking to Peter. Well, he's talking to the others because he tells them a few minutes later, all of you will stumble tonight. They're looking at him going, what? what? I mean, the trauma of, of stumbling, of failing in our walk with God, even for a moment, it's a traumatic thing. When you love Jesus, that's traumatic. That's like, no, this can't be. Paragraph C. So the first one is the sudden death of a beloved friend or leader. The second, a trauma, I mean trouble, is paragraph C. Their personal failure. I just mentioned, he just said, Peter, you will deny me. And then the next verse, let not your heart be troubled. That's in context to Peter denying. And a verse or two before that, it's in context to Jesus dying. And a few verses before that, it was in context to Judas betraying, the team being disrupted by betrayal. And again, we got Judas in a category where it doesn't overly bother us, but think of a dynamic team of people who have built their lives together, and there's those in the midst betraying the others in the midst. It's like, ooh, that's ouch, ooh, that's heavy. And the Lord's saying, this is part of the storyline that I will use to actually prepare my end-time church. Because I'm going to let this trouble emerge, and it's going to create the optimum environment of trouble plus the outpouring of the Spirit where my church will be transformed and I'll bring in the billion-soul harvest. Because it's the trouble creates part of the context for people to make deep decisions to obey the Lord in a whole new radical way. The trouble is part of the context. So is the outpouring of the Spirit. They both go together. So paragraph C, the second trouble is personal failure. And he tells them that very night, Right there in Matthew 26, all of you will stumble. He says this, they've left the upper room. It's an hour or two later. They're in the Mount of Olives. He says, I want you to know that he's about to pray in the garden. All of you will betray, not just Peter, because they're like, you know, walking there, you know that. 
half mile or however it is, you know, from uh, where they were up to the uh, outside the temple to the Mount of Olives. And they're patting Peter. Peter, bro, we're with you, man. We're with you. I don't know. We don't know. You know, we don't know what it means. You know, Jesus, just so you know, you all are. I love the fact that you care about Peter, but you are too. Now, there's no verse that says they were doing it, but if I was in a context and the Lord said to one of the guys, I would be going, oh, bro, come on, man, let's hang in, let's stay tight, you know, or something. I don't know what you would say, but it wouldn't be just, oh, oh, well. I mean, your hearts would be flow, going out to them. Paragraph D, the third trouble. And again, these are the first three that are mentioned of the seven I'm highlighting. They're all right there in John 13, is betrayal. The close-knit team would be traumatized by Judas's betrayal against Jesus, but again, it's a betrayal to the whole team and to their families. Everybody would lose and be in pain, not just the consequences of the betrayal, but they actually loved Judas. They actually really loved him. This is like, wait, just Judas is not with us, and how did this happen? And Jesus mentioned in John 13, this surprises us that just a few verses before, uh, he says, let not your heart be troubled. He says, I'm troubled in my spirit because of Judas. I love Judas. Again, we find in Matthew 26, when he brings the guards into the garden, he, uh, Judas kisses Jesus, and Jesus says, you're my friend. You are my friend. This was not an exaggeration. This was not you know, rhetoric or hyperbole or any of that. He meant you are truly in my heart. But Jesus said on the Tuesday, two days earlier, he goes, betrayal by friends and family, relatives. Then in Mark 13, he goes, it's more than betrayal. It's gonna be a betrayal of family members that leads to the death of the one who's betrayed. They will actually be killed. They'll be martyred. They'll be put in prison because of the betrayal. This is so intense. Like, how can I think this is going to happen? It's happening right now on the earth in, in, in various places. Not widespread across the earth, but it's already happening. What, I mean, the idea, if millions of people experience this, it's like, what? That just makes my stomach hurt to read this. And the Lord says, ah, I got your attention now. Let not your heart be troubled. Engage with me in the way that I prescribe. Paragraph E, now we're going to highlight the four uh, pressures, that troubles that he already mentioned on the Tuesday, Matthew 24. I've already said them all, but I just want you to see them one, in a, one, two, three, four. Great pressures that will disrupt the social order. This is to be taken literally and seriously. These troubles are right now, Matthew 24, are escalating in the earth, but they're going to escalate far beyond where they are now, and it's not... There's no value in putting our head in the ground like the ostrich or the, you know, the, the story the ostrich puts their head in the ground and does it. I don't even know if it's true, you know, but they, they say it. It's on the internet, you know, it might be. No. <laughs> but the idea of putting our head in the ground, this is not going away because we don't like it. We need to get girded, embraced, and engaging with God and doing our part so as this emerges, we're not swept away because, like I said earlier, by these negative emotions of anxiety or shame or fear or the bitterness that comes with betrayal, we become very vulnerable to darkness. I mean, it's really hard to, to stay off the flood of darkness that comes when we yield to those things and just let them build. And they don't build overnight in three weeks or three months, but they do over three years and ten years. They build, and they capture people. Believers get captured by these things. 
So he tells them the crisis in the culture, the wars, the ethnic, the you know, ethnos, nation against nation, famine, pestilence, etc., false narratives, you know, fake news on the right, fake news on the left, fake news preached in the church, fake news all over the place, inside and outside the body of Christ, false narratives being promoted. And people picking the narrative that makes them feel comfortable right now or self-justified in what they're doing. And Jesus said, this is very dangerous to not have a, a deep foundation of the scripture at this time. Paragraph F, persecution. We've already heard beaten, imprisoned, killed. It's happening now. And in, in Africa, in North Africa particularly, it's happening now in the Middle East. It's happening now in various places in Asia. And other places besides, but those, but it's going to be global before it's over. Paragraph G, again, this doesn't register to us so much, but he said, your nation is going to be destroyed. The capital city is going to be destroyed. Your countrymen are going to be taken away as slaves and imprisoned. These, these apostles are going, Jesus, is this like, Really? It's going to happen in our life. It happened in the lifetime of some of them. It really happened. A million were killed in Jerusalem, and multitudes were taken away as slaves to other nations in 70 AD. But it's going to happen, I believe, tenfold intensity related to the Antichrist in the final 42 months of this year, I mean of this age. But it won't only just happen there. Imagine our capital city burned to the ground, our countrymen taken captive, and now, Jerusalem, I mean, there, there was a unique issue there, but it's just the trouble escalating. When I think of what if our nation is disrupted in a way we're not imagining, what if, what if, what if, the Lord says, let not your heart be troubled. I have answers for these things. Another one that can be easily overlooked is the delay of God's promises. <clears throat> Meaning, there's gonna be a great delay. They were thinking, I mean, he's the Messiah. He walks on water. He raises the dead. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration and he transfigured and his face was bright like the sun and Moses and Elijah showed up. I mean, it's gonna happen. The Romans are gonna be defeated. The apostles are gonna be sitting on thrones ruling Israel. Jesus told them all that. But in 2,000 years, some of these things will happen. Like, what? Not gonna happen in your lifetime. This is like, they didn't know that. They thought the Rome would be defeated. They'd be on thrones. Incredible prosperity would come right then. Those things were coming, and Jesus mentioned them, but the delay was far beyond what they thought, and that delay is offensive. I mean, I know the things I've believed over the years. I thought this and this and this would happen by, by now or by then, and it's like, ouch, ouch. And the Lord says, line up with my heart. Line up with my heart. There's many things you don't understand. Line up with, yeah, but I thought that by now, and then the Lord says, just line up and trust who I am and what I say. Top of page three. Now we're gonna look at eight truths. And I'm just gonna give them rapid fire. And these eight truths, I just want you to have like a little table of contents to kind of look at them. And as we look at these 50 or 60 sessions on John 13 to 17 over the course of a year, year and a half, or, and again, maybe longer, who knows, just by the, we just want to do with what the Lord, uh, go with what the Lord wants. But here's eight truths. Now, these are the only eight truths, but we must embrace these eight truths. These eight truths are often, are usually not mentioned much. They're not much in the conversation of the body of Christ, but they're essential 
because the core command is let not your heart be troubled. And the way that we let, our not, our, uh, we let not our heart be troubled is by believing these eight truths. And there's several others. This is, this is not a comprehensive list. He says, verse one, let's look at it again. He says, the most stunning, indescribably glorious things that we get used to the verse, therefore it might not move us. But when you pause, you go, are you kidding? This is real. We're going to live in the Father's house forever with the God of Israel who lives in the throne of room of glory in Revelation 4? We're going to, wow. Is that serious? Is, is, is that real or is that Bible poetry? And again, we can get used to these verses and they bounce right off. These are profoundly glorious and they're stunning concepts. We need to shake off some of the familiarity and say, Lord, smite my heart with the beauty and the glory of these radiant, indescribably glorious truths that it's my story. It's not just the Christian story. Beloved, this is your story. But if it's just a Bible verse or a poster and it's not your story, you don't have the, you're not equipped to let not your heart be troubled. Your heart, when those negative emotions come, they'll just take you like a flood and sweep you right down the river. But we're gonna engage in these eight truths and there's more than these eight, but we must embrace these on a consistent, regular basis. No one does it perfect, but we need to sign back up for these eight things. The command, paragraph A, in John 14, one, is to believe, believe in God, believe in the God of Israel, believe in Yahweh, Jehovah, and believe in me, his son. And because they're not full, they're thinking, you really are equal to him. That we're, we're getting that. We're really, we know you're the Messiah, but you're more than the Messiah. Yes. Everything I have told you in the three and a half years, he could tell them, and everything you've read in the Old Testament, believe it. Believe the divine narrative. The command is to believe the, the uh, divine narrative that's associated with Jesus' heart, his plans, his promises, his leadership, especially what is made openly observable at his first and second coming. Believe in those things. The things that he said and the things he did and the things he said he will do at his second coming. So let's just read this. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God the Father's narrative for your life and the earth and history. Believe also in what I tell you about what's coming and who I am and who you are to me. My narrative of you, believe in it. Let me give you an example, he says. In my Father's house, and this is what I want to look at next week is the Father's house. There's so many dimensions to this. There's many mansions. In other words, there's room for everybody. God's house and God's heart is big enough for everybody. Even the weakest and the most broken and the farthest away from Israel, that house has many, many dwelling places, but it's not just heaven, it's my Father's house. It's not just God's city. He's functioning overtly manifesting himself as a father in a home with a family in glory together. They're going, cool. No, no, this is unbelievably glorious. Or I'll, uh, it's got to be believable or I got to deny my own teaching here. Indescribably glorious, how's that? 
He goes, if I'm going to go prepare this place for you, and the place he's going is, by the way, the cross. is where he's going to prepare the Father's house for their entry to the Father's house. We'll look at that more next week. This is phrase is so easily passed. Verse 3, I'll come again. I'm going to come with a human resurrected body, stand in the sky, with flay all the angels. I'm going to raise all the believers in history from the dead. I'm going to be in the glory of the Father. Every eye will see, I'm coming. Wow. This is your story. This is your family. This is your inheritance. Buy into this, and this trouble won't have the same magnitude of dominance in your heart that it's going to have if you don't buy into this. He goes, and here's the takeaway. I'm going to receive you to myself. I mean, this is remarkable because he tells them, you're going to all deny me tonight. He goes, but that isn't going to change us. I'm with you to the end. I get it. It's not some uh, uh, persistent rebellion he's not talking about. It's human weakness. And I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to treat you with tenderness. And I'm going to receive you to me forever. And this is the message to all of us. It's not we're just going to a glorious city. You know, we're just not, you know, uh, somehow mysteriously, you know, magically being transported to the, you know, the city of Oz somewhere. You know, so, oh, some mystical city far away. We're going to be with him. He says, I want you with me. This is what it's about. Like, okay, really? Jesus, what he said Stop being troubled. The question is how? By believing what I'm telling you about me, my promises and my narrative about who you are to me, what I'm like, what's going to happen, and how glorious and real it is and how personal it will be to you. Believe this. How do I believe it? Well, you've got to fill your mind with it. You've got to exercise your mind. When our emotions and our mindset, just in our human weakness and unbelief, we, it bounces off. We realign our hearts with God. We say these things back to God. We talk to God and people about this. We search these out. We get them in our language with God. And the understanding grows and grows. Now notice, Jesus does not say, let not your heart be troubled because you're going to escape everything troublesome. A lot of folks have a gospel, let not your heart be troubled because you're going to escape all trouble and you're going to have mostly comfort. That's not a true message. That's not what Jesus said. He didn't say, let not your heart be troubled, because if you have strong enough faith, you will somehow skip all the troubles of life. I mean, your body will be full of strength. You'll have more money you'll know what to spend. If you've got faith, then all of these other troubles in society and the culture and persecution, but even, I mean, we really zero in, You'll just have perpetual strength in your body and more money than you know what to do with if you just have strong faith. That's not what he said either. Though there's, that's what some say. And I believe God for healing and I love God's supernatural provision financially, but that's not what he's saying. That's not the way to where our heart is not troubled because we think we're gonna have so much and we're gonna escape everything hard. That's a false message. It's not what Jesus said. Paragraph B. Well, what do we do when our heart is troubled? You know, the anxiety, the fear. I mean, it's already emerging all over the earth. All of us are looking at these things going, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And the shame of failure, you know, betrayal, the feeling of bitterness and the, the, one, the attack and then the anxiety and the culture and the trouble and what's the government and the COVID and the money and the, you know, the national, you know, I mean, the uh, global financial crisis that many say is looming, but maybe it is, maybe it's like, 
Oh, my stomach hurts. The Lord says, okay, don't settle there. Enter in now. How do we do it? Romans 12 tells us we're transformed. Our emotions are transformed. That's peace and joy. That's strength for godliness. Our emotions are transformed when we, when we renew our mind. We set our mind to agree on what God says. We don't naturally agree with what God says. I mean, we want to, but the minute we just kind of relax a little bit, I'll say, oh, no, the trouble's the problems. I'm so mad at him and her. I can't believe it. And I'll say, no, 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 no. Let's go the other direction. Go the other direction. No, lock into what I say is true about you about the nation, about history, about where we're going, what this thing's about. Get into that conversation. Stay in that narrative with me. Well, John, it was years later, he wrote 1 John, the, the epistle John, the John who wrote John 13 to 17, and he says, he, I, I'm just sure he's thinking of John 13 to 17. He says, behold, what manner of love? Or behold means to meditate on, to engage with. It doesn't mean just to go, wow, thumbs up and move on. Anchor in on this. What manner, put the word instead of manner, what quality of love the Father has. Lock into it. Verse two, we'll see him when he's revealed. We will see Jesus. I mean, we'll see him in person with his physical resurrected body and we will be with him forever. Everyone who has this hope purifies himself. John could have said it. Everyone that believes these things will overcome a troubled heart. A troubled heart will not dominate. A troubled heart may challenge them, may get them for a few hours at a time, but it won't dominate them. It will purify them. It will give them a vibrant spirit if they stay with this hope. John's actually saying here what Jesus said in John 14 verse 1, let not your heart be troubled by believing these things. Well, look at these truths, these eight truths. Number one, very, again, very simple. And I mean, you already know them all, so we, I don't have to explain them and develop them in any big way. But we gotta just say, okay, am I really doing this? Believe or trust the truth about the person of Jesus. Well, I believe he died for a miracle. No, much more than that, much, much more. About his personality, about his integrity, about the way he feels about us, all these things. When he says, believe in God, believe also in me, this is not a reference to their initial faith to be born again. He's not talking to people saying, if you would just accept the four spiritual laws, invite me to your heart, you could be saved even tonight in your living room right now. He's not giving a gospel appeal here. He's already, and actually, I appreciate all those. I said that in kind of a funny tone, but I do appreciate that when those appeals are made. I really, I really do, but that's not what he's talking. He's already told this group in chapter 13, verse 10, you're already clean. I'm not talking about coming into the assurance of forgiveness. That's not what I mean right now. He's calling them to trust his leadership, to trust his story, to trust his promises. The answer that Jesus gives, believe me, is himself. <laughs> I am the answer. Like, well, that's so simplistic. It's real. He's the answer. Engage with me. I will blow your mind if you'll stay with it. The focus of heaven, the main focus of heaven isn't the gloriousness of the new Jerusalem. It is very glorious. It's the person. It's the king of the city. 
The essence of heaven is the presence of Christ and the Father. He says, believe me, I'm the answer to your troubled heart. Don't get a whole bunch of folks to figure out all the ways around and above and I talk with me, engage with me. Well, we kind of all know that, but no, this is really, really core. Believe in me, my narrative of what I say. Number two, I'm gonna return for you. I'm coming in the sky with a physical resurrected body. I'm gonna raise all my people from the dead who've believed in me. We're gonna meet together. We're gonna live in the new Jerusalem in the presence of the Father in indescribable glory. The new Jerusalem is coming down to the earth. Beloved, that's a storyline. Again, we're gonna look at that next week, Lord willing, and I think he is, but uh, it's fantastic. It's like it's, this is way beyond any story that a man could conceive of himself. Paul said, it's, eye has not seen, ears not heard. It's never entered the heart of a human, the things God's prepared for the people that say yes to him. The glory he's prepared for us has never entered our heart except for the introductory ideas of it. She says, you lock into that. I'm coming back for you with the Father's house. That will set your mind and emotions on an entirely different conversation. Number three, I want you to have a deep, top of page four, relationship with me, even in this age. The way that I and the Father relate, many of the ways, that I mean, the way that Jesus related as a man in his humanity, because Jesus is fully God and fully man, he says, the way that I interact with my Father as a man filled with the Spirit is the way you are gonna interact with us. This is so big. It's like, this is just like, well, let's just skip that one. Let's just move on to something else. This is gigantic. I mean, the Father's house coming in the sky is gigantic. Believing in him is gigantic. Like, okay, these are real. Number four, paragraph F. He's gonna supernaturally empower us in this age, and well, forever, it never ever goes away, by the Holy Spirit. He will supernaturally empower us with wisdom, insight, power, on and on and on. We're gonna have to spend much time on that. But this is, the Holy Spirit isn't just, you know, something in a meeting that makes us feel a little better so people get touched. And the Holy Spirit, it lives in us. And beloved, the moment he came to live in you, he'll live in you forever and ever and ever. And he has so much he wants to do in us even in this age. Nothing like the fullness of the age to come, but much more than what we're walking in right now. Jesus says, get diligent about interfacing with a supernatural person called the Holy Spirit inside of you. Talk to him, interact with him, learn about him. He will talk to you. Paragraph G, truth number five. I mean, this is the best of all of them. The truth about how God loves God and how God loves his people the same way. And Jesus could say, in the same intensity that the Father loves me, I love you. I mean, this is just indescribable. I mean, the, the glory, the glory of our life is that God loves God. Because, because God loves God, the Father and the Son love each other, we've got it made forever. The family is secure forever because God loves God. And he loves us the way he loves, the way they, the three persons love each other. This is, this is the ultimate reality. The ultimate reality, the ultimate source of beauty and strength is the way that God loves God. And we're gonna unpack some of this, more of this. 
So I think it's the, the grandest truth that could ever enter the human mind, the way God loves God and the way they talk, and then they want us to enter into that with them, and that's how they feel about us. Like, this is indescribably glorious. Truth number six, access to supernatural resources by spirit-led prayer. Jesus says, you pray in the will of God, there'll be supernatural resources, whether it's money, wisdom, ideas, motivation, unity. I will give you supernatural resources in this age. Well, I don't have this, that, and the other. He goes, do you talk to me about it? Are you engaging with the Spirit? Are you awestruck the way God loves God? Do you think about the Father's house in New Jerusalem? Do you believe in me? Are you captured by me? Well, no, but I'm going to. I mean, let me get through this course, and then I'll really jump in. <laughs> that was supposed to be funny. Okay. <laughs> Number seven. Oh, I love this one. How God responds to the apostles. We find that when they stumbled. How did Jesus respond to his friends the very night they were going to abandon him? He knew they would abandon him that night. It says we find out in Luke 22, a couple hours later, he says, Peter, Simon, Simon Peter, same person, Satan wants to take you out. And he's the one that's going to stir you up to deny me. Peter, ah, it's not going to happen. Because Peter just, shh, right now. I'm praying for you. Though I know you will deny me, I'm praying for you. And not only that, Peter, I'm going to prophesy to you right now, knowing you're going to betray me. I'm going to stop for a moment. I'm, I'm going to be sweating drops of blood in a few hours. I'm in a lot of pain myself, but I'm locked in for you. And I'm going to prophesy to you, you will return. You will recover. This is not the new you. This is a moment of weakness. This is not the new you. I know who you are. You will return. And not only that, you think you're disqualified. You will be used by me to strengthen many of my people. The anointing on your life and calling is going to go on and on and on. Peter says, well, number one, I don't believe I'm going to stumble. But when he did stumble... Jesus said, Jesus is interceding for me when I did this to him. And then he's prophesying that I'm going to recover. And then he's assuring me I'm going to operate in the anointing and strengthen other people. And then we find out uh, some days later in John 21, after Jesus raised from the dead, John 21, they're up in Galilee. The apostles are. There's seven or eight of them up there fishing. And I mean, they're having the hardest time. Jesus appears to them. It's the third time he has appeared to them in the resurrection. He walks up to them and Peter's out in the boat. Can't catch any fish. He says, throw the net on the other side. Just like in the old days when they first met each other and Peter caught 153 fish, it says in John 21, it's verse 11. I mean, there's a reason for that number, but here's the point. Peter had given up and he threw that net and supernaturally caught the fish. Jesus is saying, I am confirming my calling on you. I've not given up on you, Peter. I'm not giving up on you. Shepherd my people. I can't. I'm a failure. I'm disqualified. No, that's not how I treat my people. I'm praying for you. I'm prophesying to you. And I'm assuring you that my hand is still with you if you'll go with me. Beloved, that's the Jesus of John 13 to 17. And then truth number eight, the privilege of eternal rewards related to faithfully enduring persecution. I mean, it's, we think, oh, that's kind of neat. No, this is neat. This is way beyond neat. Jesus said in Luke 6, blessed are you. 
they hate you, if they hate you, jump for joy. The exchange rate is so high. If you're faithful and you're mistreated and you stay faithful and walk in love, you can't fathom where this is going. Jesus said at one time in Mark 10, I think it's, I think it's Mark 10, he said, it'll be a hundredfold what you're thinking, a hundred times greater. Paul said, the sufferings of this age are not worthy to be compared. Not worthy. Beloved, somebody throws us in prison, kills us, a family member is mistreated, we're betrayed. All these things, Jesus is saying, you can't imagine how I'm gonna respond to you because you endured this, because you loved me. It's only for a moment you endured it, but you will be rejoicing forever. You just can't imagine my generosity and the way I feel about the way you love me in this age and your weakness. I'll show you how I feel on that day. And Paul said it again in 2 Corinthians 4. Worship team, come on up. He said, it's the, this light of fiction. It's working an exceeding eternal weight of glory. The fact that we're faithful under the pressures an exceeding eternal weight of glory. Jesus said, if you will take these eight truths and interact with them, and there's a few more truths you could have put on there, but this will get you started. You will have the spiritual resource and empowerment to not let your heart be dominated with trouble. And I'll give you the supernatural peace. That will be my part, but you've got to do your part. You've got to line up to these truths when your mind naturally, in my mind as well, naturally our mind emotions, they go the other way and we repel them. But if we say them, get them in our conversation with God, study them out, hear them over and over, talk to people about them, pray about them. They grow in our understanding little by little. And I tell you, it saves our heart. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we love you. Go ahead and stand if you want to. I'm just going to minister to the Lord and ask him to come and touch us. Lord, our hearts are weak, but your peace is supernatural. Mm. Here, let's sing that I love you, I love you song again. If you don't mind. I mean, you probably have another one, but do what you want to do. He says, Jesus, risen and exalted one, Jesus, your name is like honey. We love you, Jesus. We love your leadership. We love your word. Your spirit is like water to my soul. 
Release peace, supernatural peace tonight on them, right now in this meeting. Release your peace by Let them feel the reprieve, the release in their stomach, in their mind, in their heart. Lord says, I have surprises you don't know about. I have plans that are not in your understanding for you that you will see I will do more than you're thinking. I am listening to you, says the Lord. I hear your voice. Lord, come like fire. And feel free to move around and pray for a couple of them for a minute or two. Or you can pray with the same one for a while. Jesus, you don't have to I say a lot of words. You can just you, whisper I and love you. Jesus, I love you. I love you. I love Jesus, here we are. We need your Jesus, touch tonight. I love we need a breakthrough. We need a miracle. Trouble to not give in and just give way. You 
prophetic spirit all over this room, Lord, that tonight would be an increase of dreams and visions across this whole room. Those joining by the internet, a prophetic spirit, speak to hearts tonight, tomorrow, this week. Give that key sentence prophetically in a vision, in a dream, directly to the hearts. Lord, release an increase of the prophetic. This is my desire 
great I feel. 